You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. I knew it was always the end goal, always. But you, in the multifamily apartments, the wholesaling was a means to an end for me. I mean, I still have wholesaling, a company that still runs, but ultimately, it became a vehicle that produced active income in order to buy apartments that produced passive income. So I was always had that vision. And when I got into real estate, my biggest problem was I had zero capital. So I had to figure out how to make money. And doing that in wholesaling and fixing and flipping is great. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azrea.org. Hello, what's up? We love Equity Real Estate family. How are you guys doing today? Today, it's 2022. We're getting fresh, getting started. It's January. We really want to make sure you guys are getting out the gate very, very strong. And today I have a very special guest, Chad King. Chad King is really a great guy. We've been known and many circles together. This is our first time doing something together, but he is, I mean, he's very, very big on acquisitions. He's very big on multifamily. So we're going to kind of go down a couple of different paths on today, but hold tight, grab onto your seatbelts. I'm pretty sure. And I know Chad is going to take, take off and we're going to take flight today. So Chad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Marcus. I'm, I'm so happy we're finally getting together. As you mentioned, we've been in the same circles, like, a, a bunch of them and we just never got together to do this so this is going to be awesome and yeah i agree i just make sure you stop me man because i get so excited i'm gonna go down some tangents and we're probably going to talk about some really good stuff between sales acquisitions a single family multifamily. i'm just I, I can't wait to get into the conversation well man this is what we want we, we really want you to provide value to the listeners so wherever you go believe me i'll follow you and we'll we'll make sure we keep this train on the track all right <laughs> cool Sounds right. good. So Chad, give us a little bit of background about you, man. Where are you from? What are you doing? How did you get started? So let's let's get the background out of the way. Chad King, who is Chad King? Introduce us to Chad King. Sure. So I'm originally uh, from Florida, grew up in Jacksonville, went to school at Tallahassee, Florida State, met my wife down in South Florida. And that's where I was started working at Xerox out of college. I was selling copiers door to door. Did wow. that for, yeah, did that for a few years, climbed the corporate ladder. I was the top salesman in the company my second year and um, ultimately just didn't want to do that. The whole corporate ladder climb that was the path was all laid out. The 401k matched the whole deal. And I got com- comfort was a little thing that was making me kind of want to change. So I okay. ultimately just leaped into real estate after doing a little bit of homework and figuring out kind of which path I wanted to go. Leaped into real estate full time, started in the wholesale fix and flip space. Like probably many of your listeners got 
punched in the face for the first year of it, just trying to figure it out. I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, you know, not hiring a coach, not joining a mastermind. I was just trying to figure it out myself, reinvent the wheel. So I, I pounded my head against the wall for quite a while and, and then ultimately started to get a little bit of traction. I think it was about eight months before I did my first deal. So it was quite a while. Credit card okay. bills were piling up, all that kind of stuff. And then did my first deal, then did put all the money back into the marketing, did two more deals. And then the next month, just four deals and then scaled up, ultimately partnered up a guy we both know, Bill Allen, who okay. runs Seven Figure Flipping. Yeah. So I, I met Bill. Brought his company to Nashville, Tennessee. My wife and I got married and wanted to relocate to a more conducive market. South Florida is kind of tough to get out of. It's like eight yeah. hours just to get out of the state <laughs> of Florida. So Nashville, Tennessee, and when we get into my story on a multifamily apartments, you might understand why I kind of, we chose Nashville, but brought his wholesale fix and flip company to Nashville, scaled it to a few different markets, ultimately did, I think. My biggest year, I did 168 transactions, which was 2019, 168 wholesale fix and flip transactions. And um, that was a big, big year. And then really started to transition into multifamily, which is where I'm at now, which is finding and acquiring uh, apartment complexes. So, all right. So, so let's, let's, let's kind of go back. So, yeah, you were working at Xerox. Did you just quit and then said, I'm going into real estate? Or was there like that transition period time? No, I just quit. Cold just search. quit cold turkey and, and went. Yeah. I don't recommend that. It, listen, some people should do it. I don't recommend it to everybody, but I was, I was, you know, in my um, early twenties, I, I, I kind of had not many, not many liabilities on my, on my plate. Yep. So it was a good time for me to do something like that. Like if you're young, take risks, uh, take chances. I, I highly recommend that. Now, if you're a little bit older, you got a family to take care of. I wouldn't recommend cold turkey, but yeah, just, just leapt in. I, okay. I Honestly, I talked to a gentleman by the name of Grant Cardone. If you know him, yep, yep. He, he had told me he had told me if he had started in real estate at my age, he'd be a billionaire. And after he said that, I was like, "What am I waiting for?" Waiting two for, weeks right. later, I, two weeks later, I quit. Let's go, let's go. So, yeah. so you quit. You got started. You said it took you eight months to do that first deal. What were you doing? I mean, what were you doing to? Because I know a lot of people go through that period where they say, "Okay, I learned about." Wholesale and I learned about real estate investing, sat there and I soaked up all of this knowledge. What did you do to take action? Yeah. So I got caught a little bit in the analysis paralysis phase in the beginning, you know, getting getting stuck on YouTube University, which is a great place to learn, but it can it can be a paralysis area. So yeah. I spent a good amount of time there for the first couple of months and then started driving for dollars. I actually started knocking on doors, which is, I don't recommend that at all because that's what I knew how to do. Started driving for dollars. Then my wife and I were putting out bandit signs. She would drive me around and put out bandit signs. So we were taking a lot of action at a very low level. Like we were not sending a ton of mail. I didn't have a lot of money. So I was doing a lot of the guerrilla marketing stuff that like driving for dollars and writing handwritten letters is very, very cheap. So ultimately that that's what I was doing and spending a good amount of my time doing and it just takes a while to get any traction. I had a couple of deals that went under contract that fell through. Obviously, you know, when you're yep. first getting started, those hurt a lot more. I remember that first one that fell through is just like and then and then for that eight months, I mean every day that thought just creeps into your head of like, let's go back to the corporate job. Like it was just how nice yeah. was it to get a paycheck? And you just ultimately got to push through that. But I spent a lot of time just doing the gorilla stuff. And then ultimately okay. my first deal came from a letter, a handwritten letter that from driving for dollars. All right. So tell us about, tell us about this first deal. I know it was a ways back. Wait, what, how long ago was this chat? Oh my gosh. This deal was in 20, 
17, beginning of 20, yeah, 17, 2017. Okay. 2017. Yeah. So about what, five, six, five years ago. So yep. tell us about that. And that's really, that's not that long ago. A lot of people look at it and say, well, you know what? I became a millionaire in two, three, four years. But you know, a lot of times it takes, it takes time for you to get that momentum. So five mm -hmm. years is not a long time to go from just starting to where you are now. How did that first deal transpire? I know you said you were driving for dollars, kind of walk us yeah. through there on the surface level. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember at 2901 North 16th street, it was down in South Florida. Just guy responded. It was rented out to a tenant. Guy wasn't taking care of it at all. Ended up making, I think we had it under contract for like 120, ended up selling it for 128 on a wholesale. And I had to split it 50, 50 with a guy because I had no idea what I was doing. He brought the buyer. Okay, <laughs> um, and I ended up making four thousand dollars, which at the at the time, you know, looking hey, back, like four thousand is nothing. But at the time, that four thousand dollar check hits, and you're like, it works. Like yep, we can yep. do this. Like it works. It was. I remember it like yesterday. It was the most exciting time. But little four thousand dollar wholesale deal. That was it. That was the first one. And, that, and that's, that's, that's that proof of concept, man. It let people know that, Hey, everything that I've been looking at on YouTube, or I've been seeing on Instagram, Facebook and stuff like that, that I was possibly thinking was impossible. Now I know this validates it. This $4,000 validates everything that I've been doing for the past eight months. So, I mean, right. good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Like you can make money and you can make money like without having to have the down payment or purchase the piece of real estate. I mean, that's kind of the, that was the thing that was a difficult concept to wrap your head around is like, you can get started with no money. You know, it's, it's tougher, but you can do it and it, and it makes sense. And looking back, I mean, you know, I spent, you, you mentioned like my acceleration in five years and I think mm -hmm. we'll get into it here, you know, yep. in, a, in a little bit, but it had a lot to do with then finally realizing that, Hey, investing in coaches and mentors and everything like that helps accelerate growth. Like, 10x. So that first eight months, I could have done what I did in probably a month had I just hired a coach or you know done something like that. So we'll probably talk about that, but I wanted to allude to it because no, you know. that's 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 a good segue right there because a lot of people, especially those getting started, you know, they figure, well, why should I hire a coach? You know, I barely got money for marketing, so why should I hire a coach? So kind of kind of go into that. Why is hiring that coach so important, Chad? Oh my gosh. I I, I almost can't convey how important it is. I, I don't know because it's not just about acceleration and the experience that you're paying for. And it's not only about helping do the deals, but helping avoid the potholes that a lot of these coaches and the good ones, the coaches, the good coaches and mentors have made in their careers. Like they can help you avoid those potholes that you might walk right into had, had not having that coach there. So it's just about as much money as they can save you as it is, as much as they can make you in accelerating your growth. And, and, you know, when I first got started, I was sending out like little bracelets thinking that people would respond, you know, I was doing the dumbest stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, these guys that are in this seven figure flipping this mastermind who talk about flipping and wholesaling. If I had just been in that, they would have said, don't do that, do yep. this. Yep. And I probably would have had a deal in month too, but you know, I stubborn me. And I think it's a little bit of stubbornness that doesn't want to hire. I don't need a coach. Like I'll figure it out. You're yeah. making a mistake because coaches, I have seven coaches now, like in all different aspects of my life, because that's how much I believe in coaching and mentorship. So. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's, it's very, like you said, it's invaluable. You know, the money that you think that you're spending on a coach, you're going to get that 10 times over just from the education and the application, you know, and doing these, these first handful of deals or doing a next deal, things like that. Because I remember when I got started, 
again, I was same way YouTube university. I'm, I'm gonna figure it out. You know what? I'm an MBA. I got, I got the mindset. I got the skills. I got the, got the know-how. Let me just go out here and be creative and, and figure it out. And it took me 10 months, you know, mm -hmm. in order to get that first deal. But that first deal really didn't come until after I made a ton of mistakes and somebody that knew how to do what I was doing said, Hey, you know what? I see you hustling. I see you grinding. Let me show you how to do it. So yeah. it wasn't until I found that mentor, you know, till it happened. Yeah. And you mentioned something just, it was very, very subtle, but I want to highlight it. You said most, or most people think of coaching as spending money and it's actually investing money. So if you guys are really want to be investors, like coaching and mentorship is one of the best investments you can make. And I would recommend making that investment before you even invest in a piece of real estate, you should make that one first. True. So, yeah. Very true. Very true. So, so you found this, this mentor, this coach, it accelerated your growth. What did he show you or she showed you or taught you that you otherwise didn't know that really helped you accelerate that growth? Yeah, really, essentially, it was uh, about marketing systems and processes. Because I had the sale, like I coming out of Xerox, like I would, you put me in front of somebody, it was a done deal. I just wasn't sitting in front of anybody because I didn't right. know how to generate leads, right? So I wasn't a marketing, I wasn't a systems and processes person. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from my first coach is, you know, that was the thing that was like, oh man, that's a whole, it's a sales and marketing company. It's not just sales because you can be the best in the world when you're in front of somebody, but if you're not in front of anybody, it doesn't That's do true. anything. That's so, true. <laughs> yeah, that would that was what I'd say was my biggest takeaway from my first coach is implementing marketing systems and processes into your business. Good, good. And, and that's what I tell people. I tell people, hey, you know what? You got to be constantly marketing. I said, every time you talk to somebody, that's an opportunity for a transaction. You mm -hmm. don't want to look at every conversation as transactional base, but you're always selling something. Someone's always selling you. You know, it's on, you know, hey, where are we going to go out to lunch? You mm -hmm. may, hey, I want tacos. They may want pizza. Okay, who's going to win that sale? Where yeah. are we going to go? You know, so, and then that marketing aspect is key because like you said, you got to be able to get in front of people. You can have all of the sales skills, but if you can't get in front of people, those sales skills are useless. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to elaborate on your point there, like sales and negotiations, I love that you touched on that. Like, we'll, we'll probably talk about that because that's one of my, my strengths. And I do a little bit of sales coaching now because negotiations and sales is so important. And a lot of people don't realize that they're in a negotiation and therefore they don't train on sales and negotiations and how to have tactical empathy and how to actively listen and how to uncover you know motivation and things like that. And if you don't understand that you're in a negotiation and the other person does, you're probably likely going to lose that negotiation. So it's really important to understand sales and, and basic sales skills too. That's true. So true. So true. So yeah. how did you, so after you found this coach and you pivoted to, you know, ramping up, doing more deals and everything like that, you spoke about a partnership with, with Bill. How did that transpire? How did that come about? And why did you even decide to partner? Yeah. Great question. So it was ultimately the, the mastermind that I, I alluded to earlier when, that Bill now owns and runs. That's the, one of the mentorship groups that I had plugged into and okay. got involved with Bill and he was looking to expand his company. And he had what I noticed about him when I, I sat down with him and the, and the first time we ever sat down here in Nashville was he had the systems, the processes, the team, the operations, a lot of that all really, really dialed in and figured out. But where his company was lacking was a lot on the sales side, 
the salespeople were poor, closing ratios were poor, offers made to contracts were really low. Like those numbers I, I noticed were really poor from what I was able to achieve. So I was like, man, there's an opportunity for me to plug in to his vehicle and then take everybody and accelerate very quickly. And you know, that may be a lesson to, to some listeners who think that you have to do it alone. Like you can yeah. hop into somebody else's vehicle and go further and farther, like further faster together. You don't necessarily have to recreate your own wheel or do it alone. Partnerships are very important in this space. I mean, I would not have gotten to where I am here, even with my apartment portfolio, without guarantors, partners, sponsors, money raisers, like everybody yep. has a role to play and you don't have to recreate the wheel, especially in single family, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are have complementary skills. Somebody may be good at sales. Somebody may be good at marketing. Well, why are you guys both trying to recreate the wheel? Just partner up. Very so true. that's ultimately what happened. And then we just we just kind of it was like rocket fuel. Once I came aboard and kind of took over the sales department, we just started going and going. That's that's excellent. That's excellent. And that's what I tell people is you know partner strategically partner. Find somebody if you're good at sales, they're good at marketing. Partner up. You know, why try and go out there and learn a skill that you really don't have time to learn the skill in and, and you're not going to be effective at it? Yeah, you may be able to do it at, you know, 40 percent, 50 percent, but you want somebody that's going to, you know, achieve at 90 percent or greater. So yes. so, Chad, so once you got into that vehicle and you started looking at, you know, the sales numbers and everything like that. For somebody that's in that position that's saying, you know what, hey, my sales team may be lacking or I don't know where I'm missing that, you know, missing it. We're doing all of the marketing. We're doing everything. What is like some of those conversion rates, contract to, you know, appointment to contract, things like that? What are some of those ratios that yeah. somebody should should look at? And I know we didn't talk about this, but sure. since since you mentioned, I said, hey, you yeah. know, let's kind of go down that, that lane. Look Let's do it. I, I just take, I, I kind of jotting a couple of notes down because I yep. don't want to miss anything. So it does depend if you're going, I would say before I give you guys some numbers, I would say it depends if you're going belly to belly closing or if you're closing over the phone, because okay. those close rates are drastically different. I'll kind of give you guys both of them. But for the most part, um, you got to be generating a lot of leads. It's a, it's a funnel. Everybody understands the funnel. If marketing goes out, leads come in the top of the funnel, it gets squeezed down, leads go from appointments, appointments go to appointments conducted, appointments held, because that's important, like, because there's a fall off sometimes when people aren't getting to appointments fast enough. Yeah. So it's appointments set, appointments held, then it's offers made, and then contracts. So if we're working up from my experience, a belly to belly close rate is typically for a qualified appointment about 25 to 30%. Okay. Better salesperson can get up to 35%, maybe a little bit higher. Your, your salespeople that are on the chopping block are probably around 15 or 20% for offer made to close. So you should be, a good salesperson should be closing one out of three, one out of four offers that they make. And in wow. my experience, if you're going on qualified appointments, you should be making offers on about 75 to 80% of your appointments, right? 25% are just going to be these, you know, retail Tiger just looking for a million dollars for a 200,000 piece of property. Not all offers have to be made on the first appointment. You need to know when to withhold your offer because your offer is your leverage. I tell salespeople a lot, you know, some people are really trying to get, I see some sales leaders really pushing people to do like one call closes and that's great. And you can close on, on one call. And I, in my experience, I do about 40 to 50% are one call closes, Okay, but there are strategic ways to withhold your offer to maintain your leverage right? If there are a bunch of other people coming after me, like they have six other investors lined right. up for that day and I'm the first guy out. Well, I'm not going to give up 
my entire leverage because then they don't even need me anymore. Exactly. I'm going to leave a little bit of a range or I'm going to withhold my offer and then try and swing back on the end. Hey, I'm going to be back this afternoon. Do you mind if I swing through when everybody's come through and then build that relationship a little bit more? Um, so I kind of went down a tangent, but that's offers made to contracts. And then over the phone, it's about 15%. It's okay. going to be a little bit about half just because you do lose that belly to belly connection that mm -hmm. people feel that a little bit of that trust. Honestly, it's a, it's easier to read people from an emotional intelligence right. standpoint, belly to belly. So you lose a little bit of that, which in, it factors into that ratio going down. So the, the caveat to that, the way to combat that is to drive more appointments and drive more leads. So if your salespeople are closing over the phone, Technically, they should have more time to talk to more people because they're not driving out to properties. They're not walking, sitting on people's couches and driving back. So all that windshield time, your salespeople, if they're closing over the phone, can spend having conversations and hopefully increase their numbers to try and uh, stay competitive with the amount of contracts they're bringing in. Perfect. Perfect. That's an excellent answer. And you gave some good numbers there. So guys, if you're, you're looking to start building your team or you already have your team, this is some of the numbers that you need uh, to make sure that you're tracking your KPIs, your metrics. So you're, you're following all of these numbers so you can know, okay, who's a premier salesperson versus somebody that's kind of bringing up the rear. hundred percent. And also, you know, going up the funnel too, tracking those KPIs in the marketing department, like yep. how many leads am I getting? How many appointments are being set and how many appointments are held? Like those numbers are really mission critical to get down to those contracts. So, you know, if I have a salesperson that's talking to 50 people and they're making two offers, we got a problem, you know, yeah. and I'm going to listen to their calls and dial in, you know, what, what the problem actually is, right? And there's always, it can always be tracked to one of those KPIs, which is why if you're not tracking them, you're honestly just throwing stuff throwing against money. the wall and yeah. seeing what will stick because you can't measure what you don't track. Very true. Very true. Wow, man. That's, that's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. So what are some... And we're, we're going to take a brief break here in a minute. But but Chad, before we do that, this is the last question before our break. What are okay. some of the things as a sales coach, as a sales, you know, been in sales for years, what mm -hmm. are some of the things, just give me three skills that a, that a good salesman should have. Just Oh, sure. My top three, yep. I'd have to say number one is tactical empathy. The ability to put yourself in somebody else's perspective shoes and see the situation from their perspective. It's a trait that takes a lot of training, a lot of, and a lot of my second tip, which is active listening, like really listening to somebody's problem, somebody's situation and being able to ask great questions and identify, you know, why, why are they in that situation? Number one, and how do, how are they going to make the decision? Because I need to understand what sort of trouble that they're in and the reason why I'm even in that house or looking at that house and then what their ideal situation is next. Like if I don't understand those things, I'm not going to understand how they're even going to look at the offer, which means I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to properly present the offer. True. So true. tactical empathy is probably the biggest one because you really have to be able to, to understand how somebody feels in, in a situation and put yourself in their shoes. And then, like I said, asking great questions, I think would be number two. And then number three is, or I said, active listening is, is number two. And yep. then asking great questions is number three, number three. being, being able to take somebody's words and make them elaborate on a, on a statement. So if somebody says like, Hey, this property, you know, it's kind of a pain for me. Hey, Marcus, when you say pain, you know, what do you mean? Tell me a little bit more. And if I wasn't active listening, I would have just asked the next question. Right. But I'm mm -hmm. listening and I hear pain and I take your words and I ask you another question. When you hear a question phrased in your words, you're going to be enticed to elaborate on it. 
And now you're going to tell me about the tenant problems that you have, all the stuff that keeps going wrong in the house. And all I'm doing is drumming up emotion for you to make a decision because people make decisions based on emotion and justify it with logic. And I'm also building up ammo for the close. So being able to ask great questions and get this, the prospect or person on the other end to elaborate is just, I mean, you're, all you're doing is building your case to close the deal. That's great. That's great. And that's, that's one of the reasons why when people say, Hey, yeah, my sales team, they got a script that they follow. I'm like, uh, it's really not good because they're, they're really not connecting with that seller. They're not connecting on the other end and they're not doing that active listening because it's yeah. impossible for you to follow a script because not everybody wants the same thing in the end and, well, not, and not every problem is the same. Let me tell you my, I gotta, I gotta vent my beef with scripts because I, I like scripts and they're a good guideline to follow as yep. far as like a flow and basics questioning. But the problem when people read scripts or go off of scripts is they are waiting for the person to stop talking so that they can ask the next question because a script ends up being an interrogation of questions because they're just trying to get through the script and it just, mm -hmm. it's not even a, com they're not even having a conversation. Yeah, it's no just, conversation. And the person is so guarded on the other side because nine times out of 10, you could tell when someone's reading a script and nine times out of 10, like they're like, they're not even listening to me. Cause the second I finished answering a question about all the that's going wrong about my house, they asked me how the HVAC was like, they clearly don't care. Right. And right. Be careful reading scripts guys. It's uh, they're great, but they're great tools, but they're not, you got to be able to have conversations with people. That's excellent, Chad. So let's yeah. let's take a brief break. Let's hear a word from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about what you're currently doing in the multifamily space and everything like that. So let's cool. take a brief break and we'll be right back with Chad King. Finding real estate deals can be a challenge, but with Batch Leads, it doesn't have to be. Batch Leads has created a one-stop solution for all your real estate needs. So you can find more sellers, close more deals, and maximize revenue. Batch Leads offers a comprehensive suite of lead generating tools that cover text messaging, skip tracing, finding comps, and much more. Batch Leads help you simplify, manage, and organize all your data in one place. Batch will help you stack your lists and identify properties that appear on multiple lists and have multiple distress indicators. These sellers are likely to be highly motivated and eager to sell. Get the most powerful and complete lead generation platform in the industry. Locate sellers, buyers, and lenders nationwide in seconds. Go to Batchly.io and use promo code WeLoveEquity. All right, guys, we are back with Chad King. Chad Hills out of Nashville, originally from Florida. So, Chad, we've been talking about acquisitions. We've been talking about wholesaling. You have pivoted completely into multifamily. How did that happen? I mean, how was that transition? Yeah. I, I've been studying this game for a while. When I was at Xerox Copiers, like I was studying the apartment space. I knew I wanted it. Was, I knew it was always the end goal, always. But you, in the multifamily apartments, you have to have, it's a, like the wholesaling and was a means to an end for me. I yep. mean, I still have wholesaling, a company that still runs, but ultimately, it became a vehicle that produced active income in order to buy apartments that produced passive income. So I was always had that vision. And when I got into real estate, my biggest problem was I had zero capital. So I had to figure out how to make money and doing that in wholesaling and fixing and flipping is great. It can be a phenomenal way to make money, but I don't want to kid your listeners. Like it is not passive by any means, unless you can build a business that you can then 
pass off to a COO or somebody to run. It's a very, very active, high paying job. And ultimately doing all those transactions that we talked about led to, you know, a lot of active income, but you have to go back out and do it every time because the transaction closes. You got to go back out. You do 10 deals in a month. The next, the month is over. You got to do 10 the next month. Right? So the transition came after a, a big year in the single family space, realizing that, Hey, you know, we got to, I have to pivot personally. Like I, I need to pivot. I'm working 80 hours a week, closing all these deals and it's awesome. But ultimately what's, what's the vision, right? And the right. vision is financial freedom, like passive income, retirement, like those things, being able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want for however long you want. If you're going to have that vision, you have to start pushing into the rental space and getting into owning, whether it's a portfolio of single family homes or a, a building with a hundred doors underneath it. So I, you know, really made that transition in 2019 after a few years of wholesaling, bought my first apartment complex that year. And then in 2020, bought six apartment complexes, uh, bought two more in 2021. Slow wait, down wait, a little wait, wait, bit. Slow down, slow down, slow down, Chad, slow yeah. down. Because you're, you're, just glo- you're, you're just glossing over, hey, I bought one apartment complex. Then the next year I bought three and then I bought six, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's yeah. a, that's great. That's great. How did you do that first one? How did you say, okay, you know what? I got the sales technique. I'm I'm normally doing single family. I'm going to move to mm-hmm. multifamily. How did that? Let me ask, let me ask this. Was your marketing then geared towards multifamily or was you, were you marketing for single family and then this multifamily opportunity arise and you said, you know what? I'm just going to take it. We're just going to go for it. No, it was the former. It was the first one. So we started okay. gearing. We started gearing marketing towards apartment owners. So the first deal was a little fourteen-unit apartment complex. Still own it today, and I mean, I, I absolutely love that property. We've refinanced it twice, and that was the first one we bought it. I think I have the I have the numbers because I, I had a feeling you were going to ask about the first one. So <laughs> it was seven. It was seven hundred eighty-four thousand. We got a hard money loan to close it because I mean I don't recommend getting a hard money loan, but. It was the way we could buy it with as little capital out of, out of pocket as possible. Yep. So $784,000 is what we paid for it. It appraised for nine fifty. dollars So we got add some instant equity, instant equity. Yep. immediately refinanced to an 80% LTV, pulled some capital out, like got all our cash back from the closing. We rehabbed it. We repositioned it. We raised the rents. Rents were at like six seventy five. dollars We're renting units out for nine fifty dollars now, but but we rented them out for 95 almost immediately with very little rehab. And then we got another appraisal 12 months later. It appraised for 122. So we got a okay. 75% on from that appraisal, pulled out 160,000 of tax-free money because it's loan proceeds. So it's a non-taxable event. And I have zero money in that deal. And it's it spits off net probably like four thousand dollars a month net net of everything. Wow. And that was my first deal. And then after you do one. It's that law of the first deal. You said it. You said it earlier. Like once you do one, you're like, I can do this. So then the next deal was, and the next deal was a 21 unit. And then we bought a 49 unit and then a 65 unit and then a 93 unit. And ultimately what we had to do was after the 14 and the 21, the deal sizes started getting bigger. So then I started getting into syndication. So we did 506B and we've completed six 506B and 506C syndications to this point where you raise capital from other people. And I know you're big on, on capital raising and getting it to work for you. You have a, a vast network of capital raisers and you're constantly growing it. So for those people, like getting involved in syndications with people that you you know and trust and good operators and deals, 
that was ultimately what allowed us to to buy some of these bigger properties, you know, these these five, six, ten million dollar properties. Okay, so on your so on your I capital keep, raise, I keep skipping, I keep skipping forward so fast. <laughs> no, right. don't worry about it. That's that's my job, man. I always right, go back. back, say, back. Yep, let's let's dig into it. All <laughs> right. So you so you did these deals. All yeah. right. So you, you got the, the first one, repositioned it, refinanced it, because I want everybody to see how you did this. So you found a deal, got the hard money loan in order to secure the deal. How much did you have to put up on that hard money loan, if you remember? Yeah, we put $68,000 down. Okay. So 68 grand down. So you're, you got 68 grand into this deal. Mm -hmm. You refinanced it. Well, first you, what did you do first? After, once you secured it, stabilized rents or you went in and did a little bit of the rehab? We went in and actually we refinanced because we found a bank that would give us a refi with no seasoning period. So we okay. actually had to close it pretty quickly. It was direct to seller. And that's why we got such a discount. The guy was in a pinch and needed his money. So, I mean, I love finding discounts. Yeah. Right? I love <laughs> buying deals at 70, 80% on the dollar. So that was the big driver here. And I knew we had a good deal. So I had to close it quick and then found a bank that would refi at 80% based on an appraisal. So two weeks after we closed, we just refied, pulled all our capital back out. Okay. And then what we did was we renovated the units with the cash flow. So we didn't put any more money into the building. For the first year, all the excess cash flow went back into the units to renovate them and reposition. And then what we did, Marcus, was because the rents were at 695 or 675 and we got them up closer to 800 we did what's called forced appreciation which i'm sure your listeners mm -hmm. have heard of that concept and that's what i love about apartments is the value of the building is not based on the surrounding homes like single family exactly. but it's based on how much income it produces so because we raised the income was able to cut a little bit on the expenses our building that appraised for 950 a year ago was now worth 1.22 so we are able to now refinance based on that valuation. So it was the refi, then the year worth of repositioning, then another refi, and now we're just kind of holding and it's an infinite return because we have no capital. So now was that in your base market? Was that in the Nashville market or somewhere in Florida? Right outside of Nashville here in Clarksville, Tennessee. It's like 45 minutes north of Nashville, a little military town. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Great, great, great. Yeah. So you were able to find that deal. So your marketing to those deals, was it directly direct mail to multifamily owners or how was that done? Yeah, that one came from direct mail to a, a multifamily property. We do letters okay. um, to multifamily owners. All right, perfect, perfect. So you did that. Now you understand the landscape of how to do this. Then you started moving up. When you started moving up, naturally you need more money. So how did the capital raising and everything like that start? Yeah, great question. So after that, like you have a little proof of concept now. So my next deal, the 21 unit, Bill Allen and I actually went 50-50 and I needed him to guarantor the loan too. Because okay. that that building was over a million. At that time, I didn't have the balance sheet to, to be the sole guarantor. So he trusted me. He knew, he knew me, he trusted me. Yep. And he was willing to sign on the debt and also put up 50%. I put up the other 50. So we were able to do that deal with a partnership, just like we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And then that next deal we bought, I think was the 49 unit next, which is, it was $2.5 million purchase price. So it was $900,000 down. And that's the first syndication we did where we raised 886,000, I think was the total raise on that on a 506B syndication. Wow. So you raise, you go out to your network and you just, you raise capital. Bill is a phenomenal capital raiser. So 
I'm really great at finding and negotiating the deals. And I don't mm -hmm. want to mislead your audience. Like Bill is phenomenal at money raising, capital raising. He has a vast network. So I have the cool part about these apartments too, is there's enough equity to slice up for different roles in the deal. So if okay. you, for that, for instance, on that 49 unit, we have 40% of the equity is for the GP or the general partners. Yep. And then the LP is the investors, right? So they get 60% for their investment of the equity. And then that 40% is for us. And that 40%, if you find the deal and you control the deal, that's why finding the deal is the most, the golden goose, because you control it. Now you can control how that 40% is split up. So if I need someone to come and raise the capital, I give 10% of that 40, right? To somebody yeah. to come bring the capital in. And I assist with raising capital. I have capital in my network as well, but ultimately like you can do more deals if you bring on some capital raisers that their only focus, Marcus, is raising capital while mine is finding deals. So I'm going out and finding the next property while he's busy having conversations with investors about their 401ks, their IRAs, self-directing, all that stuff in order to scale. And it's the same thing we talked about in wholesaling where somebody's good at sales, somebody's good at marketing, like partner up if somebody's great yep. at capital raising and you are great at underwriting and you're great at underwriting deals, lean in and partner up with someone who's great at capital raising. And same thing, the same thing applies in multi that it does in single. So that was ultimately the next one. And then just scaled it up from there with raising capital. Okay. So again, power of partnerships, power yeah. of leveraging your network, you know, but at the same time, you're providing a benefit and a value to your network. So that's, that's excellent. That's excellent right there, Chad. So, and I didn't know that backstory. So it's not like I was just asking these questions, you know, being facetious. No, I, I was, how did it all happen? How did it all start? Yeah. Okay. So, so what's next for you guys? What's next for you, Chad? Oh, that's a great question. So we now teach people how to buy apartment complexes. So I bought into seven figure. I actually own a little piece of that mastermind group. Okay. And the piece that I own is seven figure multifamily. All, all the all that mastermind, they have a, a runway program, an altitude program. And this isn't a plug. I'm just telling. No, that's story. right. So there's a segue there where people who want to get started like I did can get in at runway and then ultimately scale up and get into altitude. And then if you are interested in the the apartment side, we have a, a branch called seven figure multifamily, which is where we teach people how to buy apartment complexes like, okay. like we're doing right now. And I think the cool thing is like, I, I'm still in the weeds. Like I submitted an offer this morning. Like I'm, I'm still in the mix doing deals with, with the, the people that are in the group. So it's really cool. So I'm growing, we're growing and scaling that, that, and ultimately buying more apartments. I have a little, a, a little girl that's about to be one and another baby on the way. So I'm like yeah. in full on like <laughs> grind mode, trying to buy more complexes because I know kind of what expenses are coming. Right, right. Uh, you got some weddings you got to prepare for. Oh God, yeah. I'm not even thinking about the weddings. I mean, these. I'm thinking about the diapers. Daycare, I mean, yep, you know, it, yep. it's, but uh, yeah, ultimately. So I'm, I'm just buying a lot of apartment complexes right now and, and I'm being very selective with the deals, the markets. Uh, if, I pay attention to a lot of financial markets. Things are a little volatile right now. I think they're propped up on a lot of, uh, a whole lot of nothing. I mean, we can yeah. go down that rabbit hole, but I'm being very selective with my purchases. I just walked away from an apartment complex that we had under contract. That's what I'm doing okay. is a lot of just buying uh, apartments and then helping others do the same thing right now. So why, so for those who don't know, why didn't you pull the trigger on that, on that other apartment complex? Yeah. So well, first of all, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, no, of course. 
you know, when you get into these apartment complexes, it single family is, it's kind of the wild west. Like, it's like, hey, no inspection, 5k deposit, no inspections, like, and you just kind of what you what you buy is what you get. But when you get into these bigger complexes, you know, you do due diligence and you, you do, you have to really dig into a, a lease audit and uncovering the financials and doing, looking at the trailing 12 month operating statement and making sure the bank statements match the rent roll. So ultimately on this deal, to be honest with you, the rent roll looked really good on paper. When we audited the bank statements, we found out the effective rent was a lot lower than what was actually being told. And which makes the effective rent is basically like you could charge $900 in rent, Marcus, but if you pay all the utilities, you know, your effective rent may only be like 750, but you don't know that because if the rent roll says 900, so we went under contract based on some figures that were shown to us and through a lease audit and checking the bank statements, we found out that a lot of people were paying really effectively a lot less. So ultimately that's what killed that deal. We had to retrade on the price and it was just it didn't look as good. Once you peel back the, the curtain, curtain during due yeah. diligence. And I mean, I have a two page document of the due diligence items that I need when I put a building under contract. And it takes me 30 to 45 days to get all through my due diligence the correct way, um, which is, you know, that's ultimately what killed that deal. But I killed others for other reasons too. And that's good looking at that 12 and 12 and looking at, you know, doing the lease audits and everything like that, because some people, they just don't do it. Like I'm dealing with right now, just from experience, it's a smaller multifamily and the landlord is just don't want to provide any of that information. Mm-hmm. So naturally, okay, it's a red, red flag. What are you, what are you hiding? What, what do we need to uncover? Sure. You know, so we're, we're under contract and we're requesting these documents and they're slow trying to get these documents over to us. And I'm like, well, our attorney is on top of it. You know, if we need to extend this inspection period, then we will do that unless we see something that's that's really not warranted and we can always back out of the deal. So guys, remember, it's very yeah. important. If you got questions, ask them. Don't assume. Don't assume just because they say that the rent or the lease say the rent is 900, that that's what they're collecting is 900. Yeah. And it's, it's a great point. And you, you just, you have to be careful because anybody can put anything on an Excel sheet, especially when you're buying direct from seller. Like I bought that 49 unit apartment complex, like the rent roll that he gave us was on a napkin. Like he had no expenses. No, he was just mowing the grass, collecting the cash. That kind of, it was that kind of landlord, which is perfect. It was a mom and pop yep. owner. Yep. That's perfect for a reposition on an apartment complex. It's exactly the avatar, what you're looking for, but your purchase price needs to reflect the risk mm-hmm. factor that you're taking by buying something without any financials. You have to, you have to factor that in and, and be cognizant of that. And that's why, you know, learning to underwrite and underwriting and looking at thousands of deals, I have a good idea of what typical expenses are for, you know, insurance, the typical expenses for utilities and typical repairs and maintenance and contract services. And again, that's the power of like a mastermind group, knowing what those expenses are. So you can buy a property that typically doesn't have a full profit and loss statement because some mm-hmm. of them won't, uh, right. but be really careful buying something like Buying a bad deal, I say my what I say to my group all the time is it's better to buy no deal than a bad deal. And sometimes the best deal you ever did was the one you didn't do. That, that you didn't do, absolutely. And absolutely. It, it's it's so true in apartments because these things are like marriages. They're not like a flipping a house where you can kind of get out and take your lick. Like these are mm-hmm. five to seven year holds. So you buy a bad deal, it can put you really behind the eight ball out of the gate, especially getting started. So you just be careful, do your homework, um, know what you're buying. 
There you yeah, go. I can't, I can't reiterate that enough. There you go. There you go. So, all yeah. right, Chad, great content, great information, man. Let's put Chad on a hot seat. We're going to put Chad on a hot seat real quick, real, really quick. Yeah. Starting over, Chad, Let's do what it. would you do differently? Hire a coach. There you go. Okay. What is the greatest commodity outside of capital? Greatest commodity outside of capital. What do you think is your greatest asset outside of money? I think I got a good answer for you. I would say emotional intelligence. Okay. Emotional intelligence. I thought you was going to go with partnerships. Your partnerships. partnerships <laughs> I have some phenomenal partnerships. That's, <laughs> that's great too. That's a good yep. question. It's hard. That's a tough question. <laughs> and what drives your ambition? Diapers. <laughs> <laughs> Diapers. <laughs> uh, freedom. Okay. All right. Freedom. Gotcha. Okay. What do you believe is your greatest challenge? If it's either internal, something, you know, mindset, or is it external? It's, it's internal. It's courage. Okay. And you it's know courage. what? A lot, when I ask this question, the nine times out of 10, it's always internal. It's mm -hmm. always, hey, you know what? I need to be, you know, get over this fear of pivoting to the next thing, or I need to start, you know, stop with these self-limiting beliefs. So that's very good. I mean, you're, you're spot on. So guys, you listening, it's not external forces a lot of times it's internal you know what you believe what you think you know things like that and then lastly man you were you were talking about your mastermind for those who want to get into you know multifamily and they're looking for a good coach looking for someone that they can lean on kind of share with us about you know seven figure uh multifamily yeah if, if anybody wants more information it's seven figure multifamily.com uh, and then we have an event that we're throwing here in June. So this is, I don't know when this is going to get dropped, but in June 2nd and 3rd here in Nashville, Tennessee, we're doing a live event, which if anybody's interested, I think tickets are a couple hundred bucks right now. You definitely should show up. It's myself, my partner's throwing it. That is at multifamilylivevent.com. And that's to get more information on the event. And I'm sure Marcus will put those links in the, the yep. show notes so you guys can check it out. But um, yeah, come, come check us out and like come to the event and take all the information. I mean, we're open books, you know, we peel back the curtain. So get all the information you can. And then, you know, if you, if you want to continue with us and get into our mastermind, we have a, a great group of individuals that are, are doing big things that I would say right now, Marcus, I get more joy out of watching somebody close a deal than if I closed it myself, I get more joy out of watching one of our students that takes the information that we gave and closes a deal. We had somebody that just closed a 20, one unit apartment complex and it's life-changing like life-changing they got a ton of kids and it, you get so happy for other people when they succeed i like ran in and told my wife and you would have thought <laughs> we just closed a big one because it was you know so i don't know i was just sharing the story but yeah that's our that's our group check us out okay. and uh, come to the event if you're more if you're interested in learning more well i'll make sure i have all of those links in the show notes that way you guys if you want more information you can reach out to Chad. You can reach out to the Seven Figure Family and get that information. You know, I always like to bring quality guests on the show. I never want to put anyone before you that I haven't vetted, haven't you know done a deal with, or had some kind of relationship with. And again, this is no different with Chad. Again, we've been in the same circle for a while, and this is just our first time getting together. So, Chad, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you for all of the work that you guys are doing. Thank you very much for having me. It was an awesome conversation. We shouldn't wait four years to do it again. I think it's been like four years that I've seen you and been in your circle. We got we to gotta get to it again soon. You're absolutely right. So you got a social media profile, handles, anything like that for people to reach out to you? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm Chad King on Facebook and uh, at Mr. Chad King on Instagram, MR Chad King on Instagram. Um, getting more onto social media. Not a huge fan of it, but I'm trying to get better and better on it. So I'm posting more stuff. Come find me and follow me. All right, guys, that is Mr. Chad King. Chad, again, thank you. I really appreciate it. Family, you guys know what to do. You got the information. You got the access. Get out there. Take action because there's no excuses you know, in order for you to be successful, just get out there, take massive action and you will reach your goals. Thank you again. And we will share with you next week. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.